Well, what a wonderful time in the Lord's presence this morning. And I have been for weeks now just meditating on this one verse that you might be very familiar with out of Psalm 37.4. It's a simple verse, but when you begin to really do the verse and not just some verses are, have become so familiar to us that we, we quote them and we agree intellectually with them, but we maybe are not putting into practice the principle of the verse. And this can be something that as a mature believer we can do. And so this verse, I feel like, is one of them. And so as I've been meditating on it, I have been trying to really engage in doing it. And, and it's a simple one that says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. For us to truly grasp this, now, now first of all, how many of you, just if you can think off the top of your head, things you delight in, just in life, they're the things that kind of you, and, and the word of this, of the original word here in this verse, make merry over. I make merry over these things. Uh, you all know I delight in my garden. It brings me joy. I think about my garden when I'm not in the garden. In the wintertime, I'm thinking about the garden. And I'm sneaking out to see, does anything you know, maybe sneaking up, even though it shouldn't be, but maybe it's coming up. I found out my never dies are coming up out in my yard, my first sign of spring. And so it's something that I make merry over. Uh, another way that this is defined is to luxuriate in. Look, it, some people love luxury and some are like, man, that's a waste. And I, I like that thinking because to luxuriate in the presence of the Lord, it's not something that's just needed. It's something that it, it is a luxury that he wants us to engage in, to luxuriate in him and his presence. And so today, I, I'm hoping when we leave here that there's this fresh drive in you that says, Lord, you know, there are, play, there are times that we have to kind of evaluate, take time and evaluate relationships, like, you know, spouses or children. And there's times we need to evaluate our walk with God. What is it looking like? Am I just going through the motions? Or am I truly taking joy in God? And I don't think that we can truly take joy in God until we make sure we understand God's heart toward us. Now, you all know my testimony of what I came out of and a, and a, a religion that produced much guilt and condemnation of a feeling, although I loved the church and I loved being a part of this thing, I still had this constant feeling of never being able to please God. As much as I desired and strove to please God, 
There was always this in the back of my mind, I'm never pleasing him. He would ne- he'll never be pleased. I can never do enough. And what we see in the word is this is not the heart of God. Let me just, before you can begin to delight, I want you to begin to realize how he delights in you, okay? And so we're going to read through a couple of verses, Psalm 18, 19. I've always loved this one. He also brought me out into a broad, another version says a spacious place. He delivered me. Why? Because he delighted in me. For no other reason here is it given why God brought you into a spacious place, a good place, except for the fact he delights in you. Isaiah 58, 14. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now here is a little bit of us delighting in him, but can you sense he's wanting to bless and pour out for his people? His generosity is always coming forth of what he wants to do for those that belong to him. And there's this beautiful verse in Zephaniah. Now, let's see, if you don't have your phone and you have your Bible, go back to youth group and find Zephaniah for me. Zephaniah 3.17. This is such a beautiful passage. The Lord God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. If if you struggle with anxious thoughts and chaotic thoughts, he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I feel like often we're going about our life and the whole time God is singing over us and we don't even realize it. He sings over you. I, I think of this when my, my children were little and my grandsons were little and whenever I was holding them, I was singing over them. I love to sing over them. I love to sing the praises of the Lord over them. And, I, and this verse says that God does this with you. And, and there's this peace that comes even with children as you sing over them the Lord. And there's this complete trust that they have as they lie in your arms. And this is the picture that God, of God with us as his children. He is singing over you, and you don't even realize it. This is the delight of the Lord and his children. And until we understand his delight toward you, if all your view of God is one of displeasure and judgment, well, who takes delight in that? Nobody. You don't like being around people that are critical and judgmental and sharp and harsh, do you? It's hard to take delight in that type of a person. 
And sometimes this is our picture of God. Well, how are we to delight in him if this is our picture of him? But to understand the truth that he's delighted in you, that he's rejoicing over you with gladness, that he is quieting you with his love, that he is singing over you his song. And I don't even to imagine what that song even sounds like. There are sounds of heaven that we know not of. And for his song to be sung over me, I was like, Lord, could I just hear a little bit of that? <laughs> this is our God. This is our Father. He is kind when we did not deserve kindness. When I was yet in my sin, he sent his son for me. This is the goodness of our Father. This is the kindness and the mercy of our Father. And this is who I delight in. And the purpose of the cross was never just to forgive us of our sins. The purpose of the cross was to restore relationship with the Father that was broken in the garden. In the moment they partook, the relationship had been broken and Jesus, the moment he died and was resurrected, it was restored. The veil was torn, and it was so we could enter into communion with him. The purpose of the cross was relationship. You and I were created for delight and joy in relationship with him. It is what we were created for, to delight and have joy in relationship with him. And everything else is second to that. Everything else is second. This is the very heart of the thing. Joy and delight in relationship with him. In the garden, I wish I could just what was it? I, I, when I'm walking around in the forest, I, imagine, I try to imagine, Lord, what was the conversation like when you walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the garden? What did you talk about? Like, was it some really cool plants? What? I would love to know what that looked like. Because the whole goal of, of the creation was relationship. And we messed it up. And even today, in Romans 8.19, it says this. It's about the future. We've been saved. We've been made whole here. But we are not in the fullness until that day we step over, right? It says that there's this earnest expectation of creation that is eagerly awaiting the revealing of the sons and the daughters of God. And we are moving right now from glory to glory to glory, right? We are not in the fullness of our full revelation of walking as the sons and the daughters yet. There's going to come a moment when that happens. And until then, though, my heart says, God, I want to, I want to continue to go from glory to glory as your daughter and understanding what that means and what that looks like. I don't want to be content with this one revelation I had at salvation that you came and you took away my sins. That's wonderful. 
But you created me to be so much more than that. You created me to be your daughter that you have this delight and joyful relationship with. And when we get that revelation, wow, that changes everything about our walk with the Lord. We were created for it. And until we walk in that delight, we will never know full satisfaction. And we'll be going to be looking at that in a few minutes. But understanding how much he delights in you, when you know that, then suddenly I can begin to do what the verse says, delight in him. Delight in him. Jesus says it a different way in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 6, he says this, Don't worry about anything, about what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear, For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows what you need, that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. This sounds an awful lot like our verse in Psalm 37. Delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. First things first is what I hear the word saying. And it's not, this is what is amazing to me. It's not a, you have to do these, 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 these things, then you get this. No, it's come into light and relationship with me. And then I'll give you these things. I find this beautiful that what he's actually calling us to is this beautiful, intimate relationship of delighting in him and us delighting him. And so I don't know what that looks like for you, delighting in God. I I think it might look a little bit different from everybody because everybody here is different. And this is the beauty of the body of Christ because God is so multifaceted that we, from my personality and experiences, see one side, but then I see him from another side because you're all here. And we all look different and we all reflect the image of God. And so we can't truly see maybe what God looks like until we're all together and we see this, all of us together reflecting the image of God. Paul says this. He he says it this way about his relationship with God. Not that I speak, this is in Philippians 4, not that I speak in regard to need, For I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Who is it that is bringing satisfaction to him? It's not all of these things. 
He's being beat up. He's enduring many things. But what we're finding is that whether he has them or not, it's not the satisfaction. It's Christ that is his satisfaction. And he says it very differently, differently than what David says it. Paul is not the singer, songwriter, poet that David was. Paul is a very black and white kind of a person. Here's the truth, and I'm getting to the truth. It may, I might talk about it with a lot of wordiness, but he's very black and white and just stating it the way it is. You don't get the poetic sense that you get from David. They're very different, but they have this same heart. It is in Christ alone that I can, can do all these things. It's only the satisfaction that comes to me is, is when I'm delighting in God. They say it differently because they're different. But both Paul and David delight in the Lord in a very unique way. And they're this example to us of what it can look like and, and, and how God can advance even his kingdom through the delighting. It's that diversity, I think, of delighting. I was thinking of that even as we were singing these songs about pouring out our love to God and how different expressions of what that looks like. Some will express that in a very passionate way, like David dancing before the Ark of the Covenant and throwing off his kingly garments, right? And some might show it in a very reserved way, but with everything in them. That's beautiful. It's not about what it looks like on the outside, but how are you delighting in the Lord? What does it look like for Nancy to, de to delight in the Lord? What does it look like for Scott, for Heidi, for Deidre? What does it look like when you delight in the Lord? Maybe you've never even considered what that looks like. Lord, I've never even thought about how do I delight in you? How do I make merry over you? How do I luxuriate in your presence? I've been busy wanting to follow you and live according to your word and to do all of the right things. But what does it look like in the midst of those things to actually delight in his presence? David, who wrote our text, David wrote Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. David, he's the one that was on the back hills with the sheep as a young boy, playing his instruments before the Lord by himself, every once in a while killing a bear or a lion with his bare hands. He was this interesting mix of warrior and he was a famous warrior. He was a ruthless warrior and a lover and a poet. And he had a unique understanding of worship that nobody else in the Old Testament understood except for David. And there were things that he learned when he was by himself just delighting in his presence that he learned from the Lord that when he became king, he began to implement in the worship at the temple. And where did that begin? 
but by in his in his role as a shepherd boy taking care of his father's sheep killing some animals he learned to delight in the lord and the lord began to teach him things and to show him things that he never would have got in training school for the kingdomship He could have gone to all the leadership conferences to become the best king ever and would never have gotten the prophetic truths that he got on the back hill delighting in the Lord. And so I want to take a moment and go back and say, where did David come from? I want to look for a few moments at the lineage of David. And we're going to go back to Genesis 29. And we're going to look at the life of Leah for a moment, Jacob's wife. Now, you remember Jacob married two women, Rachel and Leah. He loved Rachel. Rachel was the one he was trying to get. And he got tricked, and he got the sister as well, whom he didn't love. And so in Genesis 29, it says in verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And so now we have this progression that Leah is going to go through. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, which means behold a son. For she said, the Lord has surely looked up on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. You've got to remember how tied up bearing sons were in that day to the women. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, He has therefore given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon, which means heard. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me. She's settling now. She went from wanting to be loved to just maybe he'll be attached to me. Because I have borne him three sons, therefore his name was called Levi, which means joined to. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now, forget the men, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah which means praised. Then she stopped bearing. Oh my goodness. This progression, this woman has gone through not having a desirability. She was not desired first. Then she goes into her woundedness that she has. The Lord has seen my affliction and he's seen I'm unloved. So she's got 
a desirability issue. She has a woundedness issue. And then she has an identity issue. Now I just want to be attached. Until finally she comes through it all to the place of now it's just about God. Now it's just about praising the Lord. Now it's just about, it hasn't worked with my husband. I have not been desired by him. I have not been able to even attach him to me. I have not been able to, my identity, that which surely bearing these sons would affirm my, my validity of existence. I don't even have that from this man. There's only one. And you can try to delight in all kinds of things, and they will never satisfy you. Your spouse will never satisfy you, even in a very good marriage. He he or she was not created to be that for you. Your job will never validate who you are, your ability, your professionalism, your worth. Your children will never, as Leah has found, your children will never satisfy. And the minute you cease to delight in these things that you were not created to really, they're enjoyable and they're good. They were not to be the thing that you were created to solely delight in. It is God and God alone that can do that. And Leah comes to the place of saying, okay, now God, now I'm just praising you. Now I'm just delighting in you. And from this son Judah, the very one she finally says, now God, it's about delighting in you. Now we have the very tribe of Israel in which we have the lion of the tribe of Judah. We have this tribe that produced the lineage of King David from which our Savior comes, Jesus Christ. And he comes from the tribe of Judah, the very one she said, okay, God, now it's just you. Now it's just you. Leah finally gave up the struggle of trying to be fulfilled and satisfied and validated by man, by things, by life situations, and she found it in her Lord. And and what does it say? And I'll give you the desires of your heart. What is produced when we begin to delight in the Lord? You may produce good fruit. She was producing sons. But when she began to delight in the Lord, her fruit jumped to another level. It's like, you know, getting a tomato in January in Illinois versus getting a a tomato in August in Illinois. You don't know what a tomato is until you get a tomato in August, right? And so she had some sons. This is wonderful. But she didn't have the son that produced the lineage of Jesus Christ until she began to delight in the Lord. She, like, 
supersized when she began to delight in the Lord. And how whatever fruitfulness you have in your life, it changes when it is coming from the place of delighting in the Lord. The struggle even that we have in overcoming sin and overcoming the flesh, it often happens because we're trying to satisfy ourselves with the things of this world, the delights of this world. And so then we continue to struggle to overcome and to overcome. It's not until we begin to delight in the Lord that we can overcome these things because he's the only one that can satisfy the need that drives us to those sins. And so where you're struggling to overcome sin, I would say, let's not just try to buck it up and stand your ground. There is some of that. But if that's all you're doing, you will fail again. But if you begin to delight in the Lord, he will satisfy the longings of your soul, of your spirit, of your flesh. John, the beloved, John, the disciple that understood, I am the beloved one. I am the one that Jesus loves. He had revelation of this, right? He understood the delight of the Lord. He got it. And so the book of John is very relational. And so here we find in John chapter 15, here is where the place of delighting begins. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Our vine is about to get whacked this week. It's time. But it's fruitful vines. So they'll come back. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me And I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. This is supposed to be so relational. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, and here we go again. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. But it comes after the abiding. It's not that that verse in Psalm is not flipped. He'll give you the desires of your heart, so delight in him. It doesn't work that way. The one comes before the other, as it is here. I want to give you what you desire, but you have to be abiding in me first. And when we say abiding, this is not, again, an intellectual, yes, I agree with the teachings of the word. I understand the doctrines that we believe. It is not a mental 
ascension to these things. It is a relationship. It is a walking with him, a talking with him, living with him. It's not a go to Sunday service deal. It's Monday, walking with him and talking with him. It's your workplace, walking with him and talking with him. It's at Walmart, walking and talking with him. It's when you're doing your finances, walking and talking with him. It isn't, there's not a place of separation in the relationship. It's a continual abiding. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Here's why this is a progression. Because when you delight in God, he shapes your desires. And this is why he can then give you the desires of your heart. Because when you delight in God, you want what God wants. Your desires line up with his desires. They're not selfish-based desires. They're not earthly-based desires. His delight shapes our desires. And so, he can grant you the desire of your heart. Your heart has become his heart. His heart has become your heart. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. He desires you to be fruitful. He wants to grant you the desire of your heart. But what we see here is that there's always first this place of relationship and of delighting that has to happen. I think that in many places, other cultures... Um, If you go, even in Cuba, what they will tell you is that the people of Cuba are very joyful. And you find this in a lot of places where there's poverty and not a lot of stuff, or where there's persecution. They have a joy that most American Christians don't have. And I think it's because they don't have anything else to satisfy them. They have God and God alone. And because God is all that they have, they have this greater joy and delighting in him. And so in Philippians 4, we say this all the time, rejoice in the Lord always. Take joy in the Lord always. And sometimes the hardest times to delight in God are on the sunniest days. On the days when everything is going great. You got a raise at work. You, you hit a great clearance deal. You got, you got a great price at the gas station. Your son called you from five hours away. Your husband then brought you flowers. Man, it is a great day. This is the, one of the hardest days to delight in the Lord because we begin to be satisfied with these things, right? And, and it's good to take joy in them but they can never replace the giver of the good gifts. His gifts never replace that which is the giver. And so we can never delight in just his gifts. It has to be in the giver. 
And where we get, where we're walking incorrectly is when we're delighting in his gifts rather than in the person of the giver. And so this morning, I want to conclude with this last passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 62. We're about to come into the season of Lent. Lent begins on Wednesday. And Lent is the 40 days leading up to Good Friday. And it's really a a celebration or an honoring of observance of the 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert being tempted. And so Jesus is baptized, and then he goes into the desert to be tempted by the enemy. He is fasting, food and water, and then the enemy is tempting. And there's one thing and one thing alone that Jesus is living on in the desert, and it is the bread of the word of God. There's nothing else for him as human to delight in in that place. And so we're about to come into Lent, and you say, this is why um, often Catholics give up chocolate or meat, things of this nature, because it's a, it's a season of, before we celebrate the resurrection day, it's a season of walking through fastings, givings to the poor, prayer. It's a term I like is called a sacred space. I think that we have to, in our busy world, become very intentional about creating sacred spaces with the Lord. Otherwise, your life flies by, your day flies by, your week flies by. And you've created no sacred space of delighting in the Lord, of just taking a breath and enjoying who he is in his presence. And so I'm encouraging you as we come into the Lenten season, I'm going to have some, I have some things ordered and some resources that I will have out Wednesday night during prayer meeting that to help you engage in the Lenten season and create a sacred space. How many of you celebrated with your spouses or your special one, Valentine's? Oh, look at you getting that hand right up high, David. (laughs) He was feeling really good about doing his part. Anybody else celebrate Valentine's Day yet? What were you doing? You were creating a sacred space with your spouse. Because you know you have to, or you're both going your separate ways, doing your things, right? There's that sacred space you create. And this is where I say personalities are so different. Darren likes to invade my space. When I'm at my very busiest, I'm on a deadline, and he likes to come in the kitchen and start hugging me. I'm like, no. I have a sacred space for you. It's after dinner when I'm done with everything. (laughs) That's our sacred space. (laughs) And he knows that, right? But then there are also times that in his spontaneity, because I'm the planner, like he wants to go to dinner. I'm like, no, I already have a dinner planned. I'm not. So a couple of weeks ago, it was a beautiful Saturday, and I don't know, it was about 11 or 12, he messages the family, Hey, three o'clock hiking. 
In my mind, I'm thinking of the list of things that I have to do for Sunday. But he's trying to create a sacred space for our family. And so I have to make room for that. And there are times when God calls us into a sacred space he wants for us. And there are times when we create a sacred space and say, God, I long for you to come into this place. Either way, it's making room in our lives for him. And when you do that, I I had to do that yesterday. I was baking all day for my nephew's birthday, and I I was like, I have to get out, and I need to do a, a lap at the park. And I came to, I was on time, and I was watching the clock, because I had the cake, so I had to be on time. And I came to this grove of pine trees, and in the middle, there's just this blanket of pine needles, and it's such a soft, cushiony place, and so quiet, and I just felt it pulling me. And so I, I went in, and I sat down. I had my time there, my clock, <laughs> like, okay, I have five minutes, <laughs> And I just, in the quietness, I just opened my spirit to the Lord for a sacred moment. And then the time came up. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to leave this moment with you. We have to be intentional. We are intentional in our relationships and with our workplaces. We have to be intentional If we're going to delight in the Lord, you can say, I delight in the Lord, but what are you doing to be intentional about making room in life for him, just to enjoy him? That moment was not about praying for my kids, praying for any of you. It wasn't about preparing for my sermon today. It was a moment of just delighting in the Lord. And five minutes of just delighting in the Lord will do more for you than anything else. And so in Isaiah 62, it gives us a beautiful relationship. For Zion, now remember, they've been in bondage. They've been in slavery. And God says, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land anymore be termed desolate. I I feel Leah in that when she is saying, I'm unloved, I'm unwanted, until that moment of, you know what, it doesn't matter anymore what he has termed me. Because God has said, you shall be called Hephzibah, and your land Beulah, for the Lord delights in you. He took away her forsakenness, her desolation. Hephzibah means delight and desired. 
This is the name he gave Israel, desired and delight. And Beulah means marriage. The heart of our God is always about delighting in you and being in covenant with you. It's a beautiful relationship. And the more we can engage in just this wonderful relationship, he'll take care of the concerns on your heart. The burdens of your heart, he will take care of when your focus is on just delighting in him. Often we're at the altar or in your home alone just crying out, crying out, crying out. And, and there are moments for that. But sometimes I think God would just like us just to stop and just take joy in him. Just delight in him. Just to, to invite him in. One of my favorite authors is Brother Andrew. Practice of the presence of the Lord. He's just a cook in a kitchen with some monks. And his sole purpose as this monk is to know the presence of God and engage in it. And years later, what kind of influence did he have? Well, I don't know. He wrote just this little booklet about the presence of God, and it's changed people's lives ever since. I'm going to ask if the worship team will come. See, I got done early today so that we could take a few moments before you go about your busyness to just delight in the Lord. There's something powerful about shedding the concerns and shedding the burdens and trusting that when you delight in him, he's going to take care of the burdens you shed. He wants to take care of your burdens. He wants to give you the desires of your heart. More than anything, he wants you to begin to delight in him. And so can we just take a few moments, if you want to stand, if you want to stay in your seat, if you want to just come to the altar to get away from distractions. But for these few moments, can we just say, God, I'm coming to you again. One of the rebukes in the, in the book of Revelation for the churches was what? Come back to your first love. Because there's something about first love that God wants to engage with us. And so he continually calls us back to the first love that you had with him, that first encounter when the revelation of his love for you and the sacrifice for you that you had. In that moment, you remember what it was like. He's continually calling us back to first love, to delighting in him and letting him delight in us. And so can we just take a few moments here before we leave to just do that, to just say, God, here I am. I am your beloved. I am yours. And I'm not here for anything but just to love on you and be loved by you.